were slow As they walked along that long And a man appeared As he drew near He said, why are you so sad? Are things really that bad? They said, sir Have you not heard? Well, you must be a stranger in this town Because the one who came In the Father's name Well, he has been struck down They laid his body in the ground As they walked and paused He began to explain About this Jesus Why he came He opened the scripture And began, began to preach In the wilderness The children had nothing to eat But manna from heaven Fell down at their feet They were dying thirsty in a foreign land Living water came forth from a rock in the sand song said that he took the bars away. The bars of what? The bars of the prison that we were in. Can I ask you here this morning, do you remember what that prison looked like? 
Do you remember what it was like when, it, when there was just darkness in your heart? Do you shine inside? I am so thankful that Jesus Christ is a, is a risen Lord. I'm thankful that he's a loving Savior. I'm thankful uh, not only that he's a loving and a merciful and a gracious God, but I'm grateful today that he's want to. But if you don't have any power to do anything about it, that doesn't help, does it? Amen. But Jesus Christ said, I have all power. And God gave him power over death and over the grave. And because he lives, we shall live also. Amen. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter number 27. I know I just told you you could be seated, but I'm going to ask you to stand again, please. I'm grateful to have the Word of God in our hands today, and I'm grateful to have people here to listen to His Word. Once again, I'm glad that you're here today. Matthew chapter number 27, verse 22. And the Bible says that Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say to him, Let him be crucified. Father, we come before your throne of grace today, thankful, grateful, forever grateful, Lord. For your act of mercy and love and forgiveness. Father, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are, you've done these things. Lord, I'm mindful this morning that you're the God of heaven. You don't need us for anything, Lord, but you created us for yourself and you love us and your desire is that we would come to you, Lord, not only in this life, but also in the one that's to come. Father, your word says that you're long-suffering and patient, not willing that any should perish. And Lord, that's our desire here today also. Holy Spirit, come as we're gathered here today, and we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated, folks. In the last hours of the early life of our Lord, there were many people that had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And what we see is that each of them had an opportunity to answer for themselves that question that we just read, what shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? Dear friends, I want you to know today that this was then and is yet even today an important question. What shall I do with Jesus? It's an important question for us to answer today, and it's a question that must be answered, and I will, will tell you that this question will, that not only is this an important question, folks, but I want you to know that it's an individual question, because you might have noticed that Pilate said, what shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? Each and every person that has ever lived with Jesus, which is called Christ, and the Bible reveals to us in, in the Gospels, uh, the choices that were made by the characters of Calvary. And I'd, I'd like to, uh, to take a look at some of these people today that encountered the Lord Jesus Christ in his last hours here on the earth and see how each of them responded uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not going to have time to read through all of the scripture today. You'd have to read uh, all four Gospels in order to cover all of these things. But I have done that. And uh, I want to share with you some groups of people that we find today. 
today. And the first of those is the consorting council. Now, the Bible says that there was a consorting council of people, a group of wicked men uh, that constantly fought against the ministry in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. They despised him and at every step they tried to put him away, not only from themselves, but from others. They were constantly consorting uh, against the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only were there being saints, you might remember that the Lord Jesus Christ, after they, he shared the Last Supper with his disciples and, and he told them that he was going to be betrayed and, and, and Judas had already gone to betray him and, and the rest of the disciples followed Jesus and they went in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and by the way, I, Jesus was yet to hang on the cross, but it was in the garden that he received the strength that he needed uh, there in prayer before his father. But when Jesus asked his disciples to go with him and to pray, the Bible says that they were a bunch of sleeping saints. Every, Jesus would pray for a while and he'd go to his disciples and he'd say, what, could you not watch with me for one hour? And there they were, uh, these disciples of Christ who in the most intense time of battle ought to have been pay, uh, praying, the Lord found them sleeping. But also, I mentioned his name already, there was a, a bogus betrayer. There was a man by the name of Judas Iscariot. And this man had been a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was one of the twelve. And as a matter of fact, uh, Judas was uh, such one of the twelve that the other eleven didn't know that he really wasn't one of them. Uh, that They thought that he was everything that they were. And, and let me tell you that he was given every opportunity, every uh, ability, everything that they had presented to them through their relationship with Jesus Christ, Judas had available to him. But he was, his faith was bogus. He was a false professor. He was really not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he falsely followed Christ and betrayed him in the end, really because he loved money more than he did the master. As we move on down the road to Calvary, we come across uh, a group of mixed murderers. These men, some of them were Romans, that were, there were centurions and, and governors and a, and a whole sort of people there. The Romans were in rule in Jerusalem at this point in history, but they were not the only ones. Some of these were people of his own nationality, of his own country. Uh, their chief priests and elders and scribes, those that made up the council as they called it, or the, the, the Sanhedrin, and they were all bent on removing uh, Christ totally from Jerusalem and from Israel. And it was not just good enough for these people that they didn't believe, but they didn't want anyone else to believe in him either. That was how they responded to Christ. They wanted to destroy his testimony before others. Among these men was a heinous high priest, and his name was Caiaphas. Uh, this was a man who was the supreme religious ruler in Israel at that time. He had the highest place in the temple. Uh, he was an evil man who spent his entire exposure to the Lord Jesus Christ trying to destroy him. Caiaphas was jealous of the power that Jesus had and jealous of the following that he had. And he spent his entire time trying to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. 
not only was there a, a heinous high priest, but the Bible tells us that there was also a glad Galilean. This man was Jews, and, and the Bible says that Herod was glad to see Jesus. He'd wanted to see Jesus for a time. As a matter of fact, he began to question Jesus and to ask him, and the reason that he was glad to see Jesus is the Bible says that he had heard about his miracles, and he wanted to see him perform one of them. He had no real faith in Jesus or no love or devotion for him. Uh, but this man wanted to see Jesus. Uh, he wanted to, he was glad to see him, not because he wanted to surrender, but because he wanted to see his works. Also along the men that we find on the road to Calvary was a depressed disciple. We find a depressed disciple. This is the Apostle Peter that I'm talking about. This man who uh, one minute confidently proclaimed his faith and his trust and his loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus said he was going to die with you, and, and the Lord said, Peter, before the cock crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, not so, Lord. I, I would even give my life for you. Uh, but when Peter was tested, he failed miserably, denying that he even knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And he became so depressed, the Bible says that he wept bitterly because of his actions. There were also there that day dishonest uh, deceivers. There were people that the council, the high priest and other people had encouraged to declare things about Jesus. They, people encouraged uh, by others to declare things about Jesus that were not true in order to try to discredit him and condemn, condemn him. They were lying about Jesus and saying all sorts of things that were not true uh, as they were brought before the Roman ruler. And, and the Bible tells us that he was an avoiding authority. I'm talking about Pontius Pilate, this man that was the Roman governor there that, that day. It was his responsibility to oversee this mob and everything that was going on there that day. And Pilate kept trying to avoid confrontation. Uh, confrontation. He tried multiple times to avoid making a decision about the Lord Jesus Christ, but he could not avoid making that decision and ultimately ended up making the wrong choice. Now, a choice that we know was because of the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, and because of the plan of salvation. But Pilate tried to avoid a choice about Jesus. I wonder if there's anyone here today that has been trying to avoid making a choice about Jesus. That maybe they've been putting off this choice. I know there's a choice that I need to make. I've been told that there's something that I need to do, but I don't really want to do it right now. I don't like confrontation. I don't like, uh, I don't like even if it's God himself that has told me that I need to be saved. Dear friend, are you avoiding a choice? You know by avoiding a choice in Jesus, you're making a choice against Jesus, right? Also that day, there was a worrisome wife. This was the wife of Pilate. And the Bible says that she was a woman who was troubled herself about who Jesus really was. And although she wasn't completely sure herself, she warned her husband about making the wrong choice and about uh, committing evil against this man. 
Many were doing what they were doing because there were persuasive Pharisees there that day. These were lying leaders. They were, they were supposedly religious leaders of the day that, uh, that the nation of Israel and the Jews were looking to. And they only cared about their own pride and their own power. And they were astray. And they were completely against the Lord Jesus Christ and placing trust in him. Because of their persuasiveness, they created a mad mob. And by the way, this was a group of people, what I would call days before the crucifixion of Christ. Were, as, as we preached last Sunday, were laying down their palm branches and crying, Hail Him, Hail Him, as the Son of God, the Son of David that had come to redeem Israel. But after these people had been persuaded by false teachers, let me add, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead of crying, Hail Him, they began to cry, Crucify Him, the King of glory. As the trials wore on that day, all of the trials against Jesus, by the way, were illegal by their own law. The Roman trials were illegal. The Jewish trials were illegal. Everything that was done against Christ was wrong. But the Bible tells us about a man that was there that day, and I'll call him the substituted sinner. The man by the name of Barabbas. This was a man that the Bible tells us was an insurrectionist. He was a robber. He was a murderer. Condemned, and he was there awaiting his own crucifixion. Uh, he was waiting uh, his own execution, and he happened to be there that day. And folks, I would tell you that his was the middle cross on Calvary that Jesus Christ took that day. A substitution made for him. As they traveled on, there were scoffing soldiers, men who treated Christ disgracefully and disgustedly because, they, because others commanded them to do so, really. They, these are those that mocked the Lord Jesus Christ and spat on him and put the crown of thorns upon his head and, and they, they crucified our Lord and nailed him to the cross and pierced his side as he hung there on Calvary's tree, all at the command of somebody else. I hope, dear friend, as we're talking about these men and we're meeting these characters of, of Calvary, remember th the question is, what shall I do with the Lord Jesus Christ? And each of these had an opportunity to make that decision for themselves. This is what I shall do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just wonder how many of us see ourselves in the characters that we are learning about today. There was a future follower that was there of Cyrene. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had been beaten and scourged and could barely walk, as they took the cat of nine tails and ripped the flesh from his body, and they laid this cross upon his back and asked him to carry this cross up the road to Golgotha, the place of a skull, that Jesus apparently became so weak that he couldn't even 
carry his own cross. And there was a man that happened to be standing there that day. The Bible names him as Simon the Cyrene. Simon was a man from, from Cyrene, which was a country in, in northern Africa. And he was likely a Hellenistic Jew. He was somebody uh, that was Greek by nature, but he was also a Jew. And, he, and uh, he was of Jewish faith. And he was not in the city that day because of Jesus. He was in the city that day because the Feast of Passover and unleavened bread was there. But God plucked him up and put him in that place and that point in time where he was at so that he would have an intersection with the cross. And that man we know from the Bible in one of the Gospels that identifies him as the father of Rufus and Alexander as if the church would understand who those men were. Uh, there's, there's reason to believe that Simon may have been part of a group that went back and started a Christian church. The, his intersection with the cross so impacted him that day that I believe he became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went back and he began a church and his sons were in the sending forth of Paul uh, through Antioch much later. Then, of course, there were weeping women there that day. We're not exactly sure who all of these women were. Some of them were named. We know that Mary Magdalene was there. We know that uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And, and it's, it's also likely that when it talks about the weeping women, uh, we know that in the Jewish culture in those days that oftentimes there were professional mourners that would, that would come. You, you might remember the story of Lazarus and those that wept as Jesus approached the tomb of, uh, of Lazarus to resurrect him from the dead. Nevertheless, whoever they were, Jesus commanded them not to mourn for him but to mourn for their children because of the things that would come upon Jerusalem due to their rejection of Christ. There were also that day distant disciples, men that believed in Jesus, that loved Jesus, men that had followed him in Galilee and in Caesarea and in Samaria and all of these places, they, since they had met the Lord Jesus Christ, since he had called them uh, to follow him and be his disciples, they... But now when persecution had come, now when things had become difficult, all of a sudden they had become secret service Christians and they disappeared into the background and were distant from the Lord Jesus. Call the, the jesting Jews. The Bible says as Jesus hung there on the cross that many people passed by and they were wagging their heads at him and reviling him and, and they said he said that he would destroy the temple and raise it up again in three days. Let him save himself. Let him come down from that cross and save himself. And little did they understand that if he had saved himself, he could not have saved them. Oh, how wonderful, oh, how marvelous is our Savior's love for us. Did you ever think about that, friend? I know we think about how horrible it must have been for Jesus to have hung on that cross and have his, 
we say his hands, they say it's likely his wrists that the, that the nails passed through when he was nailed. And we think of his body hanging on that cross by these nails. Yet Jesus said, uh, my father, if, if I wanted him to, would presently send me 12 legions of angels. My friend, that's somewhere around 60,000 angels. And let me just remind you that we have an account in the Bible of just one come. Imagine what 60,000 angels could do to this earth. And Jesus said, if it was my will, I could call for that right now. Do you think those two little pieces of iron held him to that cross? Or even the, the third one that was in his feet? It was mercy and love and forgiveness that held Jesus Christ to the cross. There that day, there were also two thieves the Bible tells us, and I like what David Jeremiah says about this. He says, when the Lord of glory died, he left the earth with two criminals at his side, forever silencing the notion of salvation by works. These two men, before they met Jesus, were nailed to that cross. They met him there on the cross. Now, when you're nailed to a cross, I want you to tell me how many good works you can do. Yet the Bible tells us that there were two thieves there that day. There were one uh, that was on the wrong side of the cross. And this man, through his railing, was a, a picture of rejection and depravity. And the Bible teaches us that cursing himself uh, to a Christless eternity, a man that, that was there with Jesus, he was there at the cross, he had the same opportunity the other thief did, yet he reviled and rejected him. And I believe because of that choice, man is still in eternal punishment right now and forever shall be. But he was not the only cross there. There were two thieves on the cross that day. And one of those thieves was a man who was on the right side of the cross. And this man is an illustration of the elements of salvation. The Bible teaches us that he perceived his own guilt, that he understood that he deserved to die because of his guilt. Uh, he prayed there to receive forgiveness when he looked at him and said, Lord, when you could come into your kingdom, remember me. And he had no time to join a church to be baptized or to do good works. Yet Jesus looked at him and said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Brandon, I'm not preaching against becoming a church member. You ought to be a church member somewhere. You ought to be a part of a church. The Bible says to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And the Bible teaches us uh, in the book of Acts that after people placed their, the word was preached, the people believed the word, they received the word, they repented of their sin, they were baptized, and then they were what? They were added to the church. You ought to be a part of a church. If you've never been Lord Jesus Christ, if you're getting baptized just to be baptized, you're wasting your time, friends. That's good water that can be used for something else. Water doesn't save anybody. You know how I know that? Because one time I passed through the water as a sinner and came out a sinner on the other side. That water had no power to change me because I didn't surrender my heart and life to Jesus Christ. But when I, the Lord thankfully is patient and long-suffering and kind and he pointed out the error of my ways and was patient and willing that I would come back to him and friend I have been baptized since then and, and still the baptism didn't save me but it did identify me with the Lord Jesus Christ you know why you ought to be baptized because Jesus said you ought to that ought to be enough amen 
You ought to be a part of a church. You ought to be baptized. You ought to do good works. The Bible says that we were created as his workmanship, created to do good works, that he before ordained that we should do them. But we don't, we're not saved because we do good works. We do good works because we're saved. Because he gave us a new heart and we want to serve our king. Amen? Amen? You ought to do every single one of those things, but the primary thing that you absolutely have to do is to make a choice to put your trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Just the way that thief did on the cross that day. As Jesus was being crucified, there gathered at the foot of the cross, we know there was a mourning mother. Entire life caring for Jesus. And she was saddened at his treatment and his rejection. Standing next to her was the beloved believer, the man we know to be the Apostle John. And by the way, he's the only disciple that the Bible speaks of that went all the way to Calvary with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even bold Peter, the swinger of the sword, who said, Lord, I'll go with you even to death, wouldn't go up to Calvary. Because of his faithfulness, this beloved believer, the Apostle John, was entrusted with special duties by the Lord Jesus Christ, the first of which was caring for his mother. He looked at him and he said, Son, behold thy mother. And mother, behold thy son. Jesus was concerned that his mother would be cared for, which is interesting, by the way, because Jesus had earthly brothers and sisters. But what I believe to be true is that these in the Gospels that point to the fact that Jesus' family were not believers in him yet. But we know at least two of his brothers went on to write books in the New Testament, James and Jude, and became leaders in the church. I believe that once these men had grown up with Jesus the man, son of God, and I believe after they saw him crucified there that day, saw him buried in that tomb, and then saw him resurrected and walking and talking and preaching and ascending to the king, kingdom of heaven, they were convinced that he was Lord. <coughs> Those special duties that, that John had were to care for his mother. For his mother, later John uh, would become a pastor as he would pastor the church in Ephesus. Uh, he would write uh, several books in the Bible, and uh, probably the most special duty he was given was the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, revealed to the one here in the earth who was closest to him. There also was, I believe, that day, a converted centurion that stood there at the foot of the cross that day, one of those that were there for the nailing, they were there for the crucifixion the, uh, as the spear was placed into the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was a man who met Jesus that day and he witnessed at Calvary and believer into a believer as he stood there and as Jesus died and the Bible says that the earth quaked and he said, truly, this is the Son of God. After Jesus was crucified. There were two men that came, the first of which was a righteous ruler named Joseph of Arimathea. 
The Bible tells us that this man was a councilman. He was on the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the organization uh, that was behind Jesus being condemned to death. But the Bible says that he did not go along with what they had determined. And he was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and was willing to go against this crowd and went to uh, Pilate and begged the body of Jesus after he, was, uh, after he had died and, and took his body to his own tomb, which was a fulfillment of prophecy, by the way, that he would lie in a tomb wherein never a man has laid. And this righteous ruler had help that day from a pursuing Pharisee, a man by the name of Nicodemus. This was a man who had been religious all of his life. This was a man that likely had entire books of the Old Testament memorized. This was a man that knew the scripture. He knew the Torah. He knew the law but he still didn't know Jesus until Jesus came. And this man, as he heard, no doubt, Jesus preach and teach and the gospel being shared about Christ. It tells us in John chapter number three. And Jesus pointed out to him, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm grateful that Nicodemus kept pursuing and I believe that he finally found the Lord Jesus Christ. He was one of those that came to honor him. And you know that the Bible says that if you seek me with all your heart, you shall find me. That's what the Lord says. These are the characters of Calvary, and all of them had to make a choice. What they would do with Jesus, which is called Christ. I wonder as we read about these men today and we think of how each of them interacted and responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you had to pick one of those men out or one of these women, I believe that if we'll take time to pause and to look and to understand the lives that we've just read about, that we can find ourselves in at least one of these people. And I don't know about you, I find myself in more than one of these people find ourselves in many of these roles, but there is one role that I believe that we can all identify with, and that's the man Barabbas, the substituted sinner. The Bible teaches us that we have all sinned. That's a good place for an amen. To quote from the Bible, he that is without sin among you, the Bible says, cast the first stone. I'll ask you to raise the first hand. If there's anybody here who's not a sinner, go ahead and, and stick your hand up and let me know that you are without sin. Dear friend, we are all sinners, me included. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And as Barabbas stood there that day, he was convicted, he was condemned, and he was awaiting his own crucifixion. That middle cross was never intended by those who hew that cross out to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Barabbas's cross. And you and I can identify with that today because we are every single one of us deserve to die because of our sin. 
And so that cross belonged to Barabbas, and that cross belongs to us. Oh, but then come Jesus. Jesus became the substitutionary sacrifice. He became the atonement. He became the price paid in full. He became the Passover lamb. He became God's precious lamb, the sacrifice of all sin, of all time, for all of those who will believe and receive his precious gift. And dear friend, we have recorded for us today the choice that every single one of these people made. And I ask you, what shall you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus, which is called Christ? Oh, there are some who will revile him and will rail on him and they'll make jokes and they'll mock and they'll spit and they'll do all sorts of things until they meet the King of glory face to face. But then it will be too late. There are those that, that love him and, and have committed to follow him faithfully, but sometimes we've tripped along the way, even at times denying that we even know him, and, and we've wept bitterly because of the actions of our choices. Yet Jesus loves us because we believe in him. There are those that would do anything to destroy the name of Jesus, to put his name and his gospel and his power as far away from them as possible. There are those such as Pilate that would say, I will not make a choice. I, I, I don't want to deal with this. I'm not going to make a choice. Uh, I'm avoiding this entire thing. But dear friend, in avoiding the name of Jesus, you have made a choice to reject him. Let me tell you, not to receive him is to reject him. And just as we have written in a book the account of the choices of all those that were at Calvary, can I tell you that the Bible says that God is keeping a book? And in his book is written not only the characters of this life, but the choices that they have made. And I'll tell you the only choice that really matters you remember when we were kids, they had those choose-your-own-adventure books? You know, you'd read on, and, if, and if, if you liked this part, you'd go this way, you'd take a left-hand turn and turn the page such-and-such, and this is how the story will end. And, and there were half a dozen endings in books like that. But I can tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, based on the authority of God's Word, that there are only two choices in this book. And I would share with you from the Word of God that the Bible says in John chapter number 3 that he believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Choice number one. He that believeth on the Son. If you choose to believe on the Son and surrender your heart and life to Jesus, the end or the result of that choice is everlasting life. But he that believeth not, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you want a little bit of a picture of what the wrath of God looks like, all you have to do is look at Calvary.
Because what happened to Jesus at Calvary was the wrath of God being poured out upon sin. And I don't know about you, but as horrible as that was for the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't ever want to experience the wrath of God myself. I don't want to experience eternal condemnation. I don't want to experience everlasting punishment. And dear friend, I don't want you to either. And so we start, I told you that that choice was an important choice, the most important choice that you'll ever make in your life, I promise you. And I told you that that choice was an individual choice. I can't make it for you. Your family can't make it for you. Not even the Lord will make it for you. He gave you free will and free choice. You have a choice, but your answer today is undeniable. What will you do with Jesus? Which is called Christ. Friend, I can tell you that I've made my choice. And I'm so glad that I did. God has given me a new life and you might look at some of these people and say, you know, Pastor, you said to see yourself in the people that were characters of the cross. And when I look at myself, I look at myself as one of the characters that was on the wrong path. You might have that thought in your mind right now. I've been one of those that have mocked him. I've been one of those that have rejected him. I've been one of those that have denied and avoided to... Well, friend, you know what you do when you're going the wrong way? All you have to do is stop and turn around. Praise the Lord. You have a choice yet to make today. You don't have to stay on the road that you're on. As a matter of fact, I believe that the mercy and grace of God brought you here today so that you would have opportunity to change your choice. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 17 that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Bless God, you don't have to be who you were. As we worship here this morning, I'd like for you to stand with me here today. And I'm thankful that you've come here this morning. My prayer is that you came here today to worship the Lord Jesus because you do believe in Him and you love Him. I know that many of you are here today because of your love for Jesus. I also realize that some of you are here today because of your love for somebody else. A spouse or another family member has asked you to come to church with them on Easter. And I'm grateful.